a lot weirder? The fact we have a crying baby in here. I'm not saying you're wrong, but what can we do about it? Find her parents. You want to find her parents? Hey guys, I just wrote a new haiku. <gasps> Bomb Squad Matinee. Our ninth episode is on Tokyo Godfathers. Hi, I'm Tim M. Sullivan, and with me I have... Lorraine Conversi. Ethan Hawker. Hi, I'm Joshua, the Hanukkah dreidel. <laughs> and we have a special guest, uh, the reigning champ, coming in with five episodes of Bomb Squad Movie Night. Two bonus casts, a vidcast, now on their Bomb Squad matinee debut. Angie Hachiman. <laughs> Yes! All right, and uh, if you couldn't tell by my uh, beautiful haiku, we are talking about the 2003 animated tragic comedy from Japan, Tokyo Godfathers. Um, some brief background on the movie. Uh, this, of course, is the third of four feature films from the late great Satoshi Kon. Uh, if you want to hear us talk more about him, you can check out our Perfect Blue episode of the Bomb Squad podcast, the series finale. Um, yeah. But, uh, um, so yeah, it's his third movie, um, and it's inspired by uh, Peter B. Kind's 1913 novel, The Three Godfathers. Uh, more specifically, it's inspired by John Ford's 1948 film adaptation. Um, basically, it's sort of a story that's allegorical of the three wise men. Um, so so a, cr a classic Christmas tale for uh, this uh, end of December season. Uh, and while we're still in the spirit, let's talk about some of our favorite non-traditional Christmas movies as our warm-up. Uh, now, just to... Give, give a little bit of uh, ground rules. Uh, we're, we're talking things that are thematically about Christmas, so so no diehards, no lethal weapons. Uh, we're we're going to start with Ethan. This one was very difficult for me, um, just because I feel like a lot of my uh, favorite Christmassy films are sort of very explicitly um, about Christmas. Um, so I, I sort of an unconventional one, I suppose, um, my favorite, I guess, non-traditional Christmas film is Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, um, which is uh, an absolutely exceptional um, film featuring Ryuichi Sakamoto and David Bowie, um, Ryuichi Sakamoto being the famous film composer and member of uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra, um, who we recently lost, um, along with mm. David Bowie, um, which it's an odd pick. It's a very tropical film because it take, takes place in the Pacific Islands during the Second World War, uh, and it's... Um, you know, mostly uh, tragic, at times quite uh, like a, a bit of a hard watch. Uh, and it's ultimately about uh, lots of homoerotic yearning uh, between uh, Sakamoto and Bowie. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, but th there's something about uh, uh, Beat Takeshi at the very end saying, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, uh, and uh, Sakamoto's dreamy score that just make it feel extremely Christmassy. Um, I don't, I don't know. This is, this is one where it's just a movie that I've been thinking about like constantly since I saw it at the, the Webster film series earlier this year too. Uh, so it, it just kind of, um, has been, uh, on my mind a lot, uh, on top of it. Uh, so that's, uh, for, for this point in time, uh, this present time, 
present place. Uh, that's going to be uh, my uh, my favorite non-traditional sort of Christmas film, I think. Hell yeah. Good pick. All right. Rain. Oh, uh, yeah. I was trying to... I was also struggling a bit with this question because it's like... I was trying to find the right balance between like being like not being an overly Christmas uh, type movie like your Christmas stories or your honestly I feel like Tokyo Godfathers is, feels feels to me like a conventional um, feel closer to me to like the conventional end of the Christmas movie spectrum if you know the other end you got your diehards and stuff like that I worry uh, my pick might be a bit too far on the diehard spectrum but I would go with Batman Returns as my pick I um Hell yeah it's got um obviously I guess if you know uh the movie's not everyone's cup of tea I know it has like a lot of detractors but I am I am a big fan of it might be my personal favorite Batman movie not the best one but my personal favorite potentially um yeah as far mm. as being a Christmas movie uh, I mean my argument mostly is just the aesthetics I mean you know that that classic Burton Burden style with the tinge of Christmas flair um it's great um mm-hmm. goes together so well it's it's crazy he's never done it uh before or after like never again that's crazy how there's no other thing he's done that's like that it's unfortunate um other than that i mean it's a story about outsiders uh freaks weirdos who want to try and fit in um try and belong um uh, i'm sure there's something there about family um i mean penguin has a family he's like a family they all get along and do mm-hmm. stuff i guess that's pretty christmasy um that is my answer it is my answer done hell yeah uh good pick we i i threw it on uh on christmas night um we were going back to the house that uh me and cody were staying at um to visit my family and uh like they just had like tubi on the tv i was like what's on tubi batman returns hell yeah let's do it um so yeah good pick um austin so, you know, I went back and rewatched L.A. Confidential, and that movie's opening 15 minutes are set at Christmas time. Plus, it has a really beefy supporting role from the king of vaguely threatening Christmas videos, Mr. Kevin Spacey. But obviously, <laughs> nobody wants their Christmas muddled by nasty stuff like uh, police corruption and Kevin Spacey. Uh, this is a wholesome ep. And just like the many miracles that happen in Tokyo Godfathers, uh, we've recently had a certified Christmas classic dropped into our laps from out of the sky. Most people might know it as the 70s-looking movie trailer that played before Oppenheimer. It's Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, which is only an unconventional mm. pick because it's too new to have been, like, on cable TV yet. That's, that's why it qualifies to me. So, no other movie in 2023 has affected me emotionally quite like The Holdovers did. It centers on one of those teachers. I think we all might have had one. That, like, old white guy teacher with the gray hair who looked real bug-eyed and goofy. Uh, The one who's Mm. stern as fuck about the class material and seems like he might not have a life outside of school. And this miserable teacher is stuck over Christmas break babysitting the older student who does get the best grades in this teacher's like notoriously hard class but but this particular boy uh gets the best grades because he's been held back a few years and he has behavioral issues due to feeling abandoned by his very rich parents 
it hits some like remarkably sensitive points like a four quadrant tearjerker but instead of containing like demographic groups the four quadrants of the holdovers are stuff like family history of mental illness uh failing to find love by the time you're really old losing your son to a war and the institutional cruelty of parents uh for me personally the part that made me feel the most was how it successfully humanized one of those weird teachers those loud cartoon characters who, like, taught us history class. Uh, that at one point, they were young people just like us. And in a way, that person's still hiding up there somewhere behind, like, a mountain of unmet expectations. It's a movie about sad people learning how to trust each other for the holidays. I cannot recommend it enough. Back to you, Tim. Hell yeah. I really wanted to see that while I was in theaters, but I was not able to make it out. Um... So I'm gonna have to check it out at some point. Is it on video yet? Yeah, it's on VOD, and you are gonna love it. All right, I'll I'll definitely have to check it out. Might be one of my uh, early 2024 watches. Um, Angie. Uh, so I'll have to be honest. I haven't watched very many Christmas movies in general, let alone any like non-traditional Christmas movies. I feel like I'm as traditional as they get. Like my favorite Christmas movies are any adaptation of A Christmas Carol and then It's a Wonderful Life. So I'm like super basic. But I did like a couple years ago, I did watch uh, the Netflix movie Claws. And uh, I'll be honest, like, uh, I watched that on an off time of the year, like outside the holiday season. And I was actually kind of taken by surprise that it was tied into Christmas, despite it being called Claws. And I should have put two and two together, but I thought that was a pretty good uh, animated movie. And it's not like, you know, the, the lead, it kind of builds up to like the Christmas theme, you know, kind of uh, doesn't kind of takes you by surprise a little bit mm. yeah for sure yeah i really like klaus uh i watched that like right up um when that particular um oscars was happening because it was like i want to watch all of the uh best animated feature noms and like that was that was probably one of my favorites i can't remember what all was nominated that year but i remember quite liking that the animation's very good uh very solid storytelling it is a very good animated film yeah good picks all around um yeah my my for my pick um as some of y'all may know i have become somewhat of a connoisseur of uh, christmas horror movies so of course my pick for this answer is going to be feeders to sleigh bells no i'm kidding that movie's dog shit uh, my my pick for this one is a, a little French film from 1989 called uh, 3615 Code per Père Noël, uh, known in the States as Dial Code Santa Claus, among various other names. It is the movie that uh, inspired Home Alone uh, to the degree that there was a lawsuit that almost happened. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really fun movie. It's fucking wild. Like, it's... It's dark. It gets very dark. There's a dog that dies. It's upsetting. Um, but, like, this kid goes full Rambo on the guy that's attacking him. It's kind of incredible. Um, he's also, like, the Chad to Kevin McAllister's virgin. Um, he, he's, he's, he's such, like, he's the best kid. He's, he's so sweet and also just such a badass. 
Um, like you can't not love him when you watch this movie. Um, I'd recommend it. Uh, I believe it's still on Shutter. Uh, so if you have Shutter or AMC Plus, go check it out. It's it's a wild ride. And speaking of wild rides, let's talk about Tokyo Godfathers. We're gonna start with Rain. What's your thoughts on Tokyo Godfathers? Yeah, this is um this is the second movie of uh cons I've seen. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, the other one being Perfect Blue. Uh, really gotta respect a director who can just like two completely like different um tonal extremes. Um, deeply admire mm-hmm. that. Um, I really so I really um to an extent this was like a hard movie to try and think of stuff to say about because it's just it's a it's a it's just a great movie in such a um in such a simple way to in a way where it's just like here's this um. I don't know, I'm trying to think how to, it's, I feel like it's, it's, um, it succeeds in a way that I feel like it's very, like, self-evident just from watching it, like, it's just, like, it's very, like, it's just, it's a heartwarming story with likable characters, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to struggle to have too much to say, I think the, the one main thing I really wanted to, um, mention about that I really, uh, admire is that it would focus on, um, houseless people, homeless people, as the protagonist, I really, um, I, I struggled to think of any other stories, um, movies, especially, um, that really have them as protagonists, that have them as heroes. Um, there might be some, I don't know, the closest I can think of are, like, some movies where, like, maybe the protagonist is, like, helping raise a homeless person, like, take care of a homeless person, but not one where they're, yeah, the agency of being a protagonist. And, I don't know, I think, um, being a, it's, um, I think it's something that's very, um, I think there is, there is definitely something useful, something, um, meaningful to having stories like this from that perspective. Um, for an issue that really is not talked about enough, um, a a class of people that really do not get, um, are not treated well in any sense, uh, obviously materially and also socially. So I admire that they're treated as like, and that they're treated as like full human beings, uh, worth and all. Um, that is, like, the really thing of note. The only other thing, I, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a really sweet, uh, wholesome movie. Um, very funny. Um, I think the only other thing of note, I guess, I would really have to say that's kind of neat is, uh, I was watching this with my girlfriend who can speak Spanish. So the whole, like, subplot with the, mm-hmm. um, family from Latin America, um, where you don't see the subtitles, at least mm-hmm. the version I saw didn't have subtitles for them on tv yeah um, they don't they don't translate it yeah so it was very funny um her being like oh this is what they're saying uh i wish i would have like remembered what they were saying so i could be like oh they, this is what was going on but i i forgot um but um so not really that much of a fun fact if i don't even not even like coming with with uh what they reported or reporting on what they said but uh yeah it's a great movie it's probably yeah. my new might be my new favorite christmas movie um, it used to be, um, a Christmas story used to have that spot, but this might be, this might be my new favorite. Um, back to you, Tim. Hell also, yeah. um, I, well, well, I'm sure we'll get more into the, um, the stuff with the, um, you know, it, it's, uh, how the film handles trans topics. So actually, I, I will save it for mm-hmm. that, but, um, also, I guess it is, um, for, I don't know much about, from my understanding, Japanese culture, actually you know i i won't put my foot in my mouth but 
um from what i understand i've um uh, i've did some research on like how the trans community feels about this movie and from what i understand pretty positive pretty um uh very well liked um blake and the name of the character but um that is also nice um and i'm sure we'll get into it more later but yeah movie great hell yeah yeah, no, for sure we're gonna we're gonna have some uh, things to say about uh, the portrayal of Hana. Uh, I, I do, and I'm sure Ethan does as well. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of an interesting thing of like how it was handled in 2003 when they first made the movie, and then later when uh, they started uh, being able to dub it in other languages. Um, but uh, also the the whole like Spanish subplot, like I know, like I remember like basic like. Uh, spanish too from high school so like i understood a little bit of but a little bit of the, like the very basic stuff that they were saying but basically just when they were looked like uh quiere leche si uh you you, you want milk yeah, yeah yeah she wants milk uh, <laughs> um that's that's about the peak of my spanish but um ethan uh thoughts on the film yeah so um as we come back to Khan after discussing Perfect Blue, this is an interesting one in that it's, um, of his directorial output, probably the only like straightforward uh, comedy, pretty much, mm-hmm. uh, that he ever made. Of course, he did contribute um, to other sort of uh, comic works. Uh, as we all know, he did key animation on the much-beloved OVA, Detotoko Princess, uh, an anime about an elf princess who loves pudding. She just loves the stuff. Uh, specifically yeah. at episode two um also he contributed she just more significantly. Me, <laughs> yeah, exactly uh also he more significantly contributed uh to rojin z um uh in an artistic capacity mm-hmm. and uh the live action film world apartment horror um which uh both of which were uh projects spearheaded by katsuhiro otomo uh world apartment horror uh significantly uh just wanted to mention uh was written by um uh Otomo, in part, um, but uh, also Keiko Nobumoto, who was his uh, co-writer on Tokyo Godfathers. Um, and since Nobumoto did recently pass, unfortunately, uh, I wanted to spotlight her because I think she brings a lot of a lot of the warmth uh, to this film uh, in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nobumoto uh, being best known for um, writing uh, Cowboy Bebop, uh, being pretty much the series writer on that, Macross Plus, uh, amongst uh, many other incredible projects uh she's a remarkable writer the only project she was able to sort of helm by herself is wolf's rain uh not this rain mm. not the one on the show the the kind that comes from the sky um uh and she's a she's a really remarkable writer um so i just wanted to get the nobomoto shout out out of the way too i'm sure we'll be able to discuss more about her later um but on to my thoughts about tokyo godfathers how it sort of uh congeals around the, those uh, personalities um uh, what's most striking about tokyo godfathers uh when viewed in the context of the rest of Khan's filmography is really how different it is from a lot of his work um uh, it's a straightforward comedy drama and it mostly lacks those dreamlike soft edges Khan draws between the real and surreal uh, there are certainly moments that feel very quote-unquote con um, yuki's dream depicting her stabbing her father uh, giving way to her new family, or the way Sachiko's mm-hmm. breakdown is depicted, uh, feeling very sort of perfect blue adjacent. Uh, but these are exceptions rather than the rule. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, different doesn't equal bad. Uh, instead, yeah. Kon uh, emphasizes other elements to help better complement the narrative. Um, of particular note is the backgrounds. Um, a lot of the press around this film emphasizes those as well. 
um, which uh, create a realistic grounded vision of a snow-covered Tokyo in wintertime. Uh, they aren't just like straightforward tracings, that sort of thing. There are elements of exaggerated lighting, impossible perspective, and hyperbolic set dressing, but they never shy away from the filth of the city. In particular, its sizable population of trash bags, uh, often found in large piles throughout the cityscape, clogging alleyways or shuttered storefronts. I love the detailing on them, too, like that weird semi-transparent layering. Uh, there's a bonus feature that shows that there's like four or five uh, different like layers mm -hmm. in Photoshop that they're using to detail these things. Um, and they just look incredible. Absolutely some of the prettiest trash bags in film. Um, um, while the film is, again, often you know very detailed and very pretty, uh, there's never an intention to conceal. Uh, Tokyo is messy, beautiful, highly imperfect. Uh, and Kon and the artists at Madhouse don't shy away from depicting it as such. Uh, if there is one notable element that lends Tokyo Godfathers a certain dreamlike uh, or even uncanny quality, it's the juxtaposition of the highly expressive, exaggerated character animation with those realistic backgrounds. Uh, while extensive reference footage was shot for Tokyo Godfathers, oftentimes it's uh, clearly used very liberally as the film mm -hmm. features looser animation than that seen in Cohen's other films, uh, with instances of smearing and characters' body parts dragging in comic fashion, seeing far more use. Uh, most significant mm -hmm. is just how over-the-top all the characters' expressions are, an element which is noticeable in the film's storyboards, uh, highly detailed storyboards by Cohen himself, uh, but pushed much further by the key animation. Um, uh, the big standouts are probably Hana's lengthy lambasting of uh, Jin in the uh, hospital hallway, uh, which was animated by the incredible Shinji Otsuka um, and uh, Shinji, Hatamoto, Shinji Hashimoto's rather uh, confrontation of Yasuo in his apartment, which is super expressive. Honestly, it's a weird pull, but it kind of reminds me of War the Kids animation, if you're familiar with him, just the way he, uh, the eyes are drawn, uh, those expressions. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's beautiful. Um, uh, really incredible. Uh, I think um, that just on an aesthetic level, I think that's part of why I appreciate this so well. But I think the the trio of misfits um, are also just remarkable. Um, I, I've got to save some of that this for general discussion because I have a lot of notes here, and I'm realizing I'm going on for way too long. Uh, but they're a wonderful cast of characters, um, and I think uh, part of the, part of it is how they're animated. But there's just a lot of um, different levels to their appreciation. I think again, um, Hana definitely kind of steals the show. Uh, but um, Yuki and Jin are both, you know, uh, wonderful characters in their own right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave some space for someone else to speak. Hell yeah. All good stuff. Uh, Angie, thoughts on the film? Well, um, kind of, you know, um, I don't know if I'm going to say it too much different, but uh, I agree that this is definitely a unique, like, movie for Khan. Like, this is definitely, like, super different because I'm, so used to going into mm -hmm. his stuff being like deeply like psychological and and things and this is a little bit more kind of goofy it's kind of but it's got a little bit of everything like you know you've got like the comedy the drama and then you do kind of get some like more of like the the human um you know uh like sort of like a little bit of the human drama especially with like sachiko like you know uh when you, you they build up to the end and you find out that like she's kind of dealing with uh the grief after having a miscarriage and that's kind of like a really like heavy topic um 
but um i i do i also really enjoy like the expressive animation like something about like the fluidity of like the exaggerated expressions and body movements is really fun to watch mm-hmm. um and it's it, the i kind of enjoyed too how like the the narrative is very like how it flows uh it's actually kind of interesting that i believe it takes starts on christmas and then it ends on new year's if i'm understanding mm-hmm. correctly but it kind of it's so like the the way it like moves it almost feels like it's a single night you know because every every mm-hmm. major like event happens like at night until you get to the end and then the sun rises and i thought that was pretty interesting nice uh good takes all right austin uh the seriously unexpected moment of research was finding out that this charming little anime as tim stated in the beginning uh that makes heroes out of the homeless and features pretty solid representation of a trans woman by 2003 standards is a remake of a remake of a remake of an adaptation of a novelette from 1913. I never would have guessed this was based off of a John Ford film starring John Wayne. I mean, what a novel idea. A modern day three wise men story, but it's about a few homeless people finding a baby. Talk about spinning hay into gold. So there's this exercise in film circles. I'm sure all of you have heard of it, where you oversimplify a movie and then try to sum up its plot in one sentence. Here are some examples that I've stolen. Two 90-year-old men fight when one of them can't remember who he is. That's Captain America, Civil War. Or is it Captain America, the Winter Soldier? A teenager's body starts going through changes, and then he starts taking selfies for money. That's Spider-Man 1. Recently, I was having a really great time on the drive home from Wonka, thinking, holy shit, I just saw a movie about a magical chocolatier who battles against police corruption. And uh, today's movie, Tokyo Godfathers, could also be described in some charming ways. This is a movie about a magical baby who has the Uno reverse card. In normal Christmas, you return baby to its family. In Tokyo Godfathers Christmas, baby returns family to you. Uh, In Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert De Niro tells Leonardo DiCaprio that miracles just don't happen anymore. In Jordan Peele's Nope, Daniel Kaluuya asks what you're supposed to call a miracle when it's bad. In Tokyo Godfathers, Satoshi Kon cranks up the insane clown posse track and says, I've seen miracles in every way, and I see miracles every day. And thanks to the otherwise kind of oppressive circumstances, this combo of unbelievable coincidences is met with the, by the viewer with astonishment, more so than like the usual suspicion. At a super tight 92 minutes, Tokyo Godfathers is packed full of really strange twists. Some remarkable character keyframes from, as Ethan stated, former Ghibli dude Shinji Otsuka, and uh, Studio Madhouse's trademark best-in-the-business animation, now benefiting from 21st century digital tools. Much easier to make hundreds of semi-transparent trash bags when you finally have an opacity slider. It was such a bold choice to use animation, the medium where you could do almost anything, to depict the grimy parts of Tokyo that people almost never think about. The world truly did not deserve Satoshi Kon. And all that stated, in all likelihood, I still do not think that this particular baby is King of the Jews. It just seems unlikely. That's all. Back to you, Tim. Fair. 
Um, yeah, all, all good takes all around. Um, kind of like what Rain was saying. Uh, I think I would call this maybe my favorite Christmas movie. It's it's just a, such a great, um, heartwarming, very like incredible film. Like, uh, it my my ranking of Satoshi Kon's films has changed a lot. It's ever changing. Um, they're all so good. They're all neck and neck. And for a long time, I had this one like at the bottom. But then in recent years, as I've watched it again and again, it's like gone up to like I think I have it right under Perfect Blue, which is my favorite. Um, it's 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 such a good time. It's this perfect blend of uh, character work, drama, humor. Um, there's there's so much to love about it. Um, and uh, kind of what Austin was talking about uh, with the way that it uses animation. Um, like one of the featurettes that I was watching uh, had Cone kind of talking about how people asked him, why why'd you do this as a, an animation? You could have just done this in live action. Um, and what I kind of realized is I feel like this movie is like the exact opposite of the recent live action Disney remakes where they're using photorealism uh, to depict something fantastical where this is taking a very grounded idea and make it making it much more like cartoony and expressive, which I kind of love that. Uh, I, I love how it does that. It like it contrasts the the hyper realistic backgrounds with this um, over the top expression from its characters. Uh, it's very charming. Absolutely love that. Um, talked a little bit about uh, the character of Hana and uh, uh, kind of alluded to uh, in the original Japanese version. Uh, that character is played by a man um but in the uh, g kids dub from 2020 uh she's played by a trans actress named uh, shakina nafak uh <laughs> she does a great job um in the dub she uh brings this new energy to the character that i think a lot of people love um and you know she was kind of talking about her her uh, interpretation of the story in that like these are characters that many people would kind of see as degenerates but in this story they're finding that they are worthy of god's love uh which i think is an interesting take um yeah there's there's a lot to love about the movie um i think i'll have a little bit more to say in general discussion so we're just going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back Welcome back from the ads for another ad, moviepalette.com. It's a website that has little palettes containing colors from each frame of a movie demonstrating their dominant colors. I got one up there from the film Mandy. You can get one of any movie you want to get from. Uh, you could do Tokyo Godfathers. You could do uh, any, of other, uh, any of Satoshi Kon's other movies. Uh, you could do Three Men and a Baby. Uh, you, even if they don't have the movie you want, you can pay a little bit extra and uh, they can uh, have it custom made. Just go to moviepalette.com and use the code SQUAD15 to get 15% off your order and give us a little bit of affiliate change, you know? Um, but benefits everybody. Alright, back to the show. We're gonna get into general discussion. Um, I want to start with uh, one that I think Austin will appreciate. 
Uh, so when they were composing the music for this film, uh, they got a band called Moonriders, and uh, for the end credit song, Satoshi Kon said he wanted to do a rendition of Beethoven's Ninth. Um, and rather than just uh, go going straight from Beethoven's original like com composition, uh, he decided to listen to the Clockwork Orange version. Let's go. Wendy Carlos! <laughs> How do you possibly pack more joy into Ode to Joy? The answer is more trans women. That's always that's yeah. how we respond. God. Yeah, that, that 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 tickled me to know that this film has a Kubrick connection besides that it's also a Christmas movie. Which, by the way, Eyes Wide Shut, definitely the best Christmas movie to watch with your parents. Yeah. There we go. I, I was tickled pink. Also, yeah, he got that band, like, back together from what, what I, I saw in the DVD bonus features. Like, they weren't doing shit. And then he just mm. lassoed them all together to do the weird end credit song to this. Uh, when Sid was yeah. watching this movie and it ended and the fucking Eiffel Tower started doing the Trumpet Boy Photoshop meme shit, <laughs> he was just like, come on! Like, <laughs> I don't know if it worked it's... for him, boss. It's so good, though. It's delightful, just like the rest it's of the, the puppet film. tool. <laughs> um, uh, going back to uh, Shakina Nafak, I think it is worth noting too. This is her first vocal performance, uh, as my mm. understanding, and she knocks it out of the park. Uh, she does does really oh, incredible yeah. work. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a spicy take in here. I I think that definitively the English dub uh, is is better than the Japanese version. Um, mm. uh, simply. Uh, because I think um, I don't really love the way Umagaki plays Hana. Um, I mean, I know it's still 2003, uh, yeah. but but he plays uh, kind of like anime camp gay. Uh, like he's yeah. also not a voice actor uh, too, um, by and large. Uh, and I, I don't. I, his performance is fine. Uh, it's okay. Um, and I just and it, if anything, it's more a testament to the sheer quality of the English voice talent in general, who I think are all really exceptional um mm -hmm. throughout i think it, it works a lot better uh also shout outs to all of the bonus features in the original japanese on the g kids release extremely hard to watch uh because they constantly misgender hana great yeah. uh, love it <laughs> um uh but i uh, really i do think that uh yeah that that performance is is really exceptional and all the performances in general uh are really mm. good it's a it's a far cry from the old um produced for the international dub the like weird animax dub that you used to find on like torrents and that sort of thing um which mm. is the first dub i watched it's, it's not good <laughs> i uh y'all know cone's tome right the the blog yeah. you, you mentioned that yeah uh i did uh, on perfect blue okay cover. yeah yeah uh i went, <laughs> you mentioned that several years ago i i went back to cone's tome because uh and turns out i think tokyo godfathers is the movie that satoshi cone wrote the least blogs about because paranoia agent mm. came in and fucking sucker punched him right around the time that this was yeah. getting made so um he had to like blog about it later and uh there is a point like where it's like a page of character descriptions and like the original artwork for them and the one about hana is just just go read it just go read it it's gonna hit you like a wet fish it sucks <laughs> it, yeah it sorry <laughs> no i i think i feel like 
the the good in Hana again is is maybe Nobumoto more than it is Khan because uh, I feel like Nobumoto is a bit more uh, literate in that 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 sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> um, broad broadly speaking, um, and again, I I feel like Nafax's performance again because because uh, he doesn't mention it a lot in the bonus features. Uh, I mean, I don't. don't I mean, yes, maybe read up on those articles. I remember I was doing some research on Tokyo Godfathers a couple years ago for, for a thing, and, and woof, uh, not great. But even on the bonus features, he's like, yeah, all these performances were perfect. And I'm like, even Umagaki's? No, no, this man who looks like John Leguizamo in the past is not a good fit for this trans woman. Please stop. Um... Uh, uh, but another thing, uh, an interesting thing to note about uh, uh, Colin's relationship with Hana is it, for the reference footage for are. this film, uh, he uh, portrays Hana because mm-hmm. uh, Satoshi Kon is quite tall for a Japanese man. He was five or was. He's quite short now, but uh, <laughs> sorry, that's a, an inelegant way of phrasing that. That was not intentional. Uh, <laughs> Satoshi Kon was five foot eleven. Uh, He's now uh, negative six feet. Oh, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Got him. This is what you get for being transphobic in 2003. How dare you? <laughs> I, uh, another thing about that reference footage um, is J- Jin or Gin? How do we fucking say that person's name? Uh, Gin, I believe. Gin is played by the producer, uh, Satoki Toyota, but Miyuki is played by Satoshi Kon's wife, Kyoko. So the, the cosplay in the park was real fun that day. And you can find this footage. I think it's just scraped from the the original like uh, DVD Blu-ray featurette thing. But Satoshi Kon, I wonder if he invented the walk because or the, <laughs> Hana has a specific way that she runs, and you can see in yeah. the footage Satoshi Kon is running in that same stupid way. So now I wonder, like, which one's the chicken and which one's the egg? You know what I mean? So, so, Satoshi Kon is doing that gay walk that you were talking about on that Spider-Man thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Richard Williams is gay walk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why did I think that that, that person was gay? I, I just saw them from over the bushes and I, I raced out and I had to look at their gay walk, that little fruit. <laughs> Richard Williams, R.I.P., another another master of animation that we've lost, uh, who had just had some extremely weird ideas about the LGBTQ community. God bless him. Yeah. Um, you, you did mention uh, the actress who played Miyuki in the uh, Japanese on uh, one of the features, she was kind of talking about how, like, she wanted to give a very nuanced performance to that last uh, line where she says, Oto-san, uh, our father. Uh, like, she wanted to do it in such a way that it's not too, like, positive, like, make you think, oh, she's going back to her dad, but not too, like, surprised of, oh, she's going to stay with her found family. Uh, wanted to find some kind of nuanced balance in the middle where... Uh, it's still open to interpretation, which I think that's a, a very interesting way to go about your performances. Like, uh, leave them thinking. I like that. It's like that uh, recently mentioned moment in Halloween where Donald Pleasance at the end like had to figure out how to do the reaction to Michael Myers like disappearing at the end, and there were two yeah. ways to play it, kind of thing. It, it is interesting that you can like just make your actor do something where your ending goes from being kind of clear cut to being the, the spinning top in inception. I wonder mm. if after you've gone through the trouble of making a film, cause I always hated ambiguous endings to films. I still kind of do like 99% of them. I don't like them. 
Uh, but I wonder if, if you're, you know, big person in charge, I made a movie, if there's, like, some, like, kind of thing tempting you, like, oh, an ambiguous ending would be so cool. I could win the Palme d'Or. The French would like me. Like, what the fuck is the compulsion there? Just, just let her go home. Goddamn. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, like if it, keeping it, it open-ended. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 for this for this one, I think that the, the movie is so, like, jam-packed with content that it's, like, it, it feels a bit more natural that it's just, like, running from situation to situation to situation. I'm always astonished that this movie is just an hour and a half um, because it, it feels longer, but in, like, a complimentary oh, yeah. way. Because I just remember there's so much that happens in it. Uh, it's a very, very dense yeah. film. Uh, so the, the fact that it just stops there, it's like, okay, this is a good resting point at this point. Like, we have a moment to breathe. Uh, it's It's an earned, like... And it's it's ambiguous in a positive way. Like everything leading up to this indicates that things will go well. But also, yeah, I get it. Uh, it it does seem a bit I don't know, maybe not the perfect fit for this movie, which wears its heart on its sleeve uh, throughout much of its runtime. Um, yeah, that was but, something uh, I was thinking of too. Um, just on this watch, was just like uh, how much you get in just ninety minutes. It's kind of incredible. Um, uh, just, just, just you gotta, you gotta pace it right. You gotta pace it right. You can do a lot in ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe they um got distracted by the angel tower starting to dance uh outside of the window. Like, what's going on out there? Weren't, <laughs> weren't. Who's using the puppet tool? Stop! <laughs> Get that shit out of here. It is a very yeah. The plot is very stuffed. Um, a lot of the occurrences are very um very wacky, but um in a very for the tone it's going for, and um, I don't know, it, it it has enough whimsy that um, um, I don't know. I feel like people who who care a lot about plot holes um, should have even less reason to like be nitpicky about it. Oh my god, Cinema yeah, Sins would go to town on this film. That's th- that's how their soul finally gets condemned to hell. The Cinema Sins person, <laughs> just r- <laughs> ripping into Tokyo Godfathers. Uh what is it uh the animation in this was allowed to deform pretty drastically that was one thing that was also made kind of like evident from the bonus features was animators were allowed to go ham and make people kind of rubbery so you get like a a little bit more personalities from the animators coming out and how they did like keyframes and and sometimes Mm. animators did too many keyframes one kind of weird animation note is that uh for the sequence where hana is screaming at Jin in the hospital, his name wrong, uh, Shinji Atsuka drew all 280 key and in-between frames by himself, so the whole animation was just kind of locked in that way. Like, if you wanted to make edits, you couldn't just fuck around with the in-betweens like you normally would. You'd have to edit, like, all 280 of the fucking frames this person drew. So, yeah, the, the animation's really high quality in that moment, uh... Sort of like that one malicious babysitter in The Simpsons. Uh, but it did make editing that cut a, a particular pain in the dick. Uh, they, they've got, like, what? Animatics, pencil tests, whatever the fuck those are called on the bonus features. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. That's just, you can tell somebody, like, I don't know, like was like, I'm going to stay up all night and just do this. And then somebody, like I don't know, their spouse came back in the morning and they were at the desk still. Imagine. Yeah. Drawing all the in-between frames. Horrifying. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I wanted to comment too on Otsuka because you mentioned you know former Ghibli animator, uh, current I mean, he just worked on The Boy and the Heron, a bunch of these guys. There's a there's a lot of crossover mm. uh, between animators that worked on Tokyo Godfathers and The Boy and the Heron. There's a lot of you know Ghibli talent, obviously, because they're they're sort of the cream uh, of uh, that crop. It's also worth no- noting that Shinji Otsuka uh, worked on other classics, uh, like he did a lot of really exceptional work on uh, FLCL, uh, Fully Cooly. Um, and, uh, who can forget, uh, the fourth entry in the Cream Lemon series, no. Pop Chaser, Fuck. uh, no. uh, the, the, the one Cream Lemon that it's acceptable to like, uh, because it's, uh, less, it's not lollycon, not as, uh, weird lollycon stuff, uh, as the other ones. Hideaki Anno worked on it, and he's the only one who had the, the balls to not be credited under a pseudonym. It just says Hideaki Anno in the credits. And a bunch of the guys who were, made Robot Carnival. Too many people worked on it. We can't cancel them all. I'm sorry, gang. Uh, the, the guy who worked on Cream Lum in Part 4 animated some of your favorite sequences in your favorite Studio Ghibli films. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service was also the horny science fiction OVA guy. Wow. A bunch cool. of the horny science fiction OVA guys, actually. Oh my god, this is like Japan's Polanski petition. How could this happen? Oh no. <laughs> we can't get Cream it. lemon petition. We can't get them all. Uh, what was it? Another, another little technical detail. Did you guys see how they did snow for this movie? It was mentioned in the bonus features. Yeah, they yeah. like drew it on like six different layers or some shit. I interpreted it, they were painting, like, white paint on top of the white paper. Because normally you could yeah. just leave the white paper because it's already white. But they were like, no, we need depth. And so they just fucking slung that shit down. Which I guess is going the extra mile in anime land. Mm. Perhaps. Yeah. I, I... Yeah, yeah, they do a lot to give it an extra... Uh, extra dimensionality. Again, like, realism and, like, detail. Because the um, a big thing is... A lot of backgrounds can be, like, very beautiful and very vividly realized, but there's usually an instinct by a lot of animators to um, indulge in impressionism, if only for the sake of uh, not doing as quite as much of the, that work. Uh, but here it's just layers on layers on layers, um, and the result is that they can do a lot of cool stuff with uh, timing movement on those background layers, sort of like a traditional multiplane effect, um, you know, uh, using digital elements uh, as best as they can uh this is a film that uh like the transition to digital animation which is normally extremely noticeable in a lot of works uh is not super apparent here at all the color palette uh, is varied and uh not super uh bland there's still a lot of texture in the image uh that you get out of this one which uh very good good and cool uh not something you see a ton of in the early digital era even in, in some of those like big budget movie films yeah, oh, yeah. I, you know what? You know what? I, I actually, like, it's hard to believe that it came out in 2003 because it does, it almost looks older than it actually is, like yeah. Ethan was saying. Yeah, it has, like, a like a late 90s cell quality to it. Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah, I believe, I believe this was maybe the first wholly digital feature. I feel like Millennium Actress... It just might be tricking my eye, because uh, that movie looks also extremely good. Millennium mm. Actress was a digital animation. I was There's like a, a linked Japanese interview with some dude 
who's probably an important dude. Um, but he was talking about how Millennium Actress was a cell animation and this was a digital animation. And it's implied uh, by the sort of footnote on Wikipedia and his poorly auto-translated words that this might have been when the switch flipped. Maybe. But I at least know Millennium Actress Cell, uh, Tokyo Godfathers, uh, started using digital tools or was a digital pipeline. Uh, shoot me if I'm wrong, because obviously none of this is real at research. It's internet research. But but um, yeah, if I had to put a bet in from what I've read, that's that's how it is. At, at the very least, yeah, the um, the background art in uh, Millennium Actress seems very clearly uh, hand-illustrated and scanned. Um, I mean, a lot of the line art was, you know, sort of, uh, the, the Xerox, but we could do it with a computer now. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it, it, the transition is mostly, uh, really seamless and it seems like they're just using the tool set to their benefit, which owns, oh, that's good. Love to see that. <laughs> uh, except for the, the, like, I think the only time I ever kind of noticed CG assets was that old man's collection of fidget spinners um the windmills that he has yeah i know they're windmills oh uh his little yeah his, his little pinwheels <laughs> uh but they the, I, all i could think of was man those kind of look like fidget spinners which is itself kind of a, a dated reference at this point but whatever yeah. <laughs> um but the, yeah those those were like the only sort of really outstanding like this this thing was made in a computer box uh mm. thing uh, that i noticed at least on this watch through um, one, one shot, um, uh, that had a detail that I didn't notice until, uh, watching the bonus features today, uh, the, the shot where it's the wide of, uh, Gin getting the crap beaten out of him by those assholes, uh, the, the apartment lights above him are a health bar. There is fucking health bar. It's a, it's a fighting game screen. I never noticed that. And I'm going to notice that every time now. I fucking love that. Scott I didn't Cobra. realize that. <laughs> I, I noticed Edgar the one Wright. light, the one light blinking, but I didn't realize, I didn't make the connection that it was a health bar. I'll have to keep that in mind yeah. next time I watch it. Okay, so a lot, a lot of, a lot of fuss is made about how Cohen was not an anime guy. However, my my counterpoint to this is this movie towards the start has a Gundam reference, uh, because when uh, Gin hits. Miyuki, she says, not even my father would has ever hit me, uh, which is a reference to when Bright slaps Amuro in uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. Like, the, ex the syntax, uh, the phrasing of it is identical, uh, which is very funny. <laughs> or maybe it's based on his real life. Actually, that's not funny. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Rain. Oh. I don't know. He was Koshi too busy was dealing with uh, real life Kong. problems to think about uh, robots. Maybe Satoshi Kon was Amuro Ray. Yeah, <laughs> maybe Kon's counterattack. I, I I do I need to throw Rain this bone because as you can tell from my entire answer to question two, I had infinite trouble trying to come up with shit to say about this movie, and I was trying to figure out why. Like I was I was wondering if anybody could come up with a guess as to why this one's so fucking hard to talk about because I usually can hide somewhat in the the, the production elements. But there's not that much of that. There's 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 frighteningly yeah. little of that stuff. Like I checked Japanese Wikipedia article, and it was just a Japanese version of the English Wikipedia article. I was fucked, <laughs> and uh, I don't know why. But when trying to come up with anything profound to say about Tokyo Godfathers, behind kind of surface level stuff you could find on like other video essays on YouTube, I could I just fucking couldn't. I don't know why. It's strange. Uh 
I think at a certain point, a movie's just like, yeah, it's really good. Uh, right. This is just one of those. <laughs> Even though there's like more going on in in Works by Perfect Blue, I feel like I don't know. It's just like I said, it's 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 good in a it's very good and well made, but in a very just like obvious. I don't know. It's just very plain. There's I don't know. You, there's only so many ways I guess you could like you you could wax poetically about um, something that's simplistically beautiful. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was uh, just saying, you know, that I also had a hard time, like, <laughs> I watched it and I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to say about this movie? But it is, it is good. Like, like you said, it's just, you know, what, what can you, what, what can you really say? It's more like, hey, you just got to watch this. Just watch it and yeah. experience for yourself. Like, there's nothing to say about it. <laughs> yeah, it speaks for itself. Yeah, because when it came out in theaters in dub, I, I found a friend who never saw it before, and I'm just like, here, come come with me. Just watch yeah. this movie with me. <laughs> Spe speaking of that, uh, I, I have seen all of Cone's movies in theaters, and uh, guess what day I saw this one in theaters? March 11th, 2020. That's what? right. Wait. I watched this movie the day of the pandemic's announcement. Uh, uh, this was the last movie I saw in theaters before lockdown. Man. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, same I, for me. Oh, you you two were together seeing this film on that day? No, no, two, but... Two separate uh, states. It, yeah, it came out around... It, it came out in March 2020, and I took my friend to go and see it and the lockdown was announced like a week later or something very very soon after i think my final lockdown film was the hunt which the hunt and sonic are the more common ones at least you two can say yeah. you had a cool pre-lockdown film <laughs> most people can't yeah i but the one right before that was david cronenberg's rabbit which i watched in a double feature <laughs> with sonic <laughs> I do think um, one thing that is kind of interesting about this film is that uh, because Cohen, like very early in his career as a director, was sort of like discovered and popularly distributed in the states, um, a Millennium Actress, uh, sort of infamously, infamously maybe, uh, was distributed in the states by DreamWorks uh, poorly, yeah, uh, bad, badly. Um, was but, was Millennium Actress the one that uh, Justin Savakis had was talking about the like super negative screening of? I I believe that was the one. Um, if you uh if you, listeners, if you were interested in some insights on on Cone, some uh, a lot of great material uh, beyond uh, the subject of it, uh, the Webster Film Series has a lecture by um uh, Justin Savakis of Discotech and Media OCD. Um, talking about Paprika, but he also talks about um, a film screening, which I believe was Millennium. It was either Millennium Actress or Tokyo Godfathers, yeah. uh, where there was a bunch of issues because of the um, the plating system used for film reels yeah. uh, in Japan versus the States was completely different. Uh, so uh, basically there were long stops between reels because this was um, in the early aughts when everything was still on, you know, uh, 35 mm -hmm. millimeter. Um so and that was like his first time and Cohen was there at the screening and it was like a premiere screening mm -hmm. um 
sort of infamously. Uh, yeah. So he, he had to deal with that, uh, which sounds awful. I my, my condolences to him, but he has a lot of other great insights. Um, and I recommend because it's like an hour long talking about paprika and that sort of thing. The film series puts on great work. Um, mm. uh, we'll put a we'll put a link in the, the down there bit for that because uh, it's worth uh, listening to if you have the opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I i just always think about that because I, I recall like he he had an interview with cone after that screening and uh he's like so uh how how did you feel about the uh u.s release of the movie and uh, he said something along the lines of uh well i was glad to be here for the screening uh but i i wish i wasn't here for this screening um and justin's just like oh fuck um and then later he was at the premiere um to speak with uh, him about uh, paprika and uh he met one of his colleagues and he was like um yeah i am here to do this uh, I, I was here for i was there for the um uh millennium actress one or, or tokyo godfathers whichever it was the guy just goes yeah don't bring that up <laughs> mercy uh <laughs> Yeah, because because um, it's mentioned. I, I just think it's kind of interesting to keep in the back of your mind that I feel like on some level, Con uh, is kind of um, making these films with an eye towards international distribution. Um, yeah. Just because that was sort of baked in uh, to his larger filmography. Um, I, again, the the world premiere of this was at the Big Apple Anime Con in New York. Um, uh, the, as depicted in the bonus feature, so I think Con talks about yeah, there was a seven foot tall uh, black guy sitting in front of me that kept scratching his head yeah. so I couldn't see the movie, yeah. uh, which would have been particularly atypical for Con. Uh, I get why he would kind of want to put a focus on on it because uh, you know compared to the interviewee, uh, the interviewer rather, um, he's a pretty tall dude, uh, yeah. five foot eleven, but uh, that's like a little over standard size here, uh, which uh, amusing bit, but also um, just sort of seeding his films in a larger context it's interesting because yes he is still you know courting a japanese audience but um a lot of his films kind of mm -hmm. uh take on uh internet more international modes of expression and he takes on a lot of yeah. um, a, a lot more western influences despite this right. being, um maybe one of his more more japanese films in a way i mean it has tokyo right in the title <laughs> um yeah <laughs> all right let's go into final thoughts we'll start with angie Oh, well, my final thought is that it's a good movie and I recommend watching it at least once if you haven't seen it. Hell yeah. Straight into the point. Uh, Ethan, final thoughts. I took you over Godfathers uh, is a really ex exceptional sort of film uh, from a director who tragically was not able to make a lot of material to go through. Um, I think it's in a lot of ways, uh, maybe his most accessible work. Um, maybe to uh, maybe millennium actress is a little bit more but uh i think um despite uh two scenes of bare breasts this is the one i would maybe feel most comfortable showing a child um <laughs> i think it's it, it's really exceptional it's uh got a great balance of uh warmth and comedy and just it's such a dense picture uh from a whole mountain of uh incredible creative talents um on both the you know on the fronts of uh, score on writing uh, the animation artists background artists just a lot of great people coming together to make a really exceptional uh, Christmas picture uh, that you could watch all year round mm -hmm. hell yeah rain final thoughts even though at time of recording this uh, Christmas ended a few days ago it is um, still recommend seeing it no matter what time of year um, 
Christmas time, Halloween time, um, um, pandemic time, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Now's the hopefully, time. Hopefully not another pandemic time. Yeah, let's let's uh let's wait another hundred years for that one. Uh Austin, final thoughts. Twenty twenty three was a rough year. And if you want to start 2024 off on the right foot, you're going to need the right movie. Don't slip up and accidentally put on Saltburn or Dream Scenario or Poor Things. Put on everybody's favorite found family movie about a lost baby who has people running all over Tokyo in a frenzy. Godzilla minus one. Hell yeah. All right, my final thoughts. Tokyo Godfathers is a great film. Lots of humor, lots of drama, lots of great character beats. Um, beautiful animation. Just a lot to love about this one. I definitely recommend checking it out, particularly the dub. Uh, go go buy the Blu-ray from G-Kids. It's worth your 20 bucks. Um, so this... This has been the Bomb Squad talking Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, Angie, we'd like to thank you for coming on as a guest. Uh, do you want to plug your socials or uh, any projects? Uh, no, not. I don't got much going on. I do have that one video that I meant to, to post, but, you know, life happens. I am hoping to eventually mm. get that out. Uh, it's supposed to be a video commemorating the 10th anniversary of Free, but uh, at the rate I'm going, I'm, it's going to be commemorating the 11th anniversary, so <laughs> that'll hopefully go. come out eventually on YouTube. Other than that, um, I, I'm not, I don't do too much. I do some cosplay on Instagram, but I don't post too much on there, but anyone's free to follow me at uh, daskp one um, that's my handle anywhere. All right. Um, and uh, one last thing, since we are talking about a uh, film about homeless people around wintertime, uh, we wanted to give Austin an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about his husband's work and uh, how you can help out. Yeah, um, particularly right now, uh, there are a lot of homeless people out there who don't magically win the lottery and don't have homes they can go back to and um so my husband runs a lifeline aid group uh where the money you donate will be directly used to house homeless people basically he's developing a pipeline to you know help homeless people like get an id get the documentation that they need um get a cell phone through a government program kind of thing he's developed all these kind of tricks to get people back up on their feet you know, from whatever state that they're in at the moment when they're, you know, probably at their worst and then find a way to fast track them into an apartment, whether that's like with a housing voucher or through some, you know, cooperation with some other agency. Uh, basically, the goal of Lifeline uh, or the main goal right now is just to take these people off the streets and put them somewhere where they have a damn roof. And um, there's like not a giant structure of people who are vacuuming money up the ladder or anything right now it's kind of just run by a bunch of people who don't take pay from the thing so every dollar you donate goes to help a homeless person it's it's pretty radical and it's i've seen the work they do sit as housed so many homeless people and um it's 
it's great work, and I just, you know, hope he gets a grant or something, because, you know, he's doing real good work. And I, I, don't, I don't think any of us want people to have to, you know, be out on the streets. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, consider donating. Lifeline has a linked tree. It's run by really solid people. And, um, yeah, there's, like, real-life... Um, real life benefits like there's the, the the when you invest money it turns into something kind of beautiful really quickly and i'm very fucking proud of my husband so uh consider donating because uh, unfortunately a lot of america's problems are fixed with money i really wish those people at the top were vacuuming up all of it fuck you one yeah. percent donate today uh. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have a uh, link in the description, so if you would like to donate, uh, any contribution is appreciated. Um, But that is going to do it for this episode of Bomb Squad Matinee. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, If you're listening on the audio platforms, uh, give us a review or a thumbs up, whatever they let you do on this particular platform that you use. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Uh, leave a comment below. Let us know. What do you think of Tokyo Godfathers? Uh, what's your favorite Satoshi Kon movie? Uh, do you prefer sub or dub? Uh, comment below. Let us know. While you're down there, hit the like button if you like the video. Hit the subscribe button if you want to see more. And hit the bell icon to get notifications on when we upload videos. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in to this, uh, season of bomb squad matinee and uh this year of our channel uh we've we've had some difficulties this year but we really appreciate everybody who's stuck it out with us this whole time uh tune in to whatever we got going on next year but until then remember your family are the ones who you love celebrate the holidays with them farewell